0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. This Thursday, May 17th, from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Detroit City Distillery, you can join me, the Detroit Today team, and other WDET listeners for smart conversations on politics, policy news, and issues that matter to you. We're going to talk about regional regional transit education and this year's race for governor and talk about the things that you think we ought to be paying attention to later this month when we go north to Mackinac Island for the Detroit Regional Chambers Policy Conference. For more information, you can go to WDET.org slash events. Also, WDET is presenting season two of the Twisted Storytellers podcast. Detroit's most dynamic storyteller, Satori Shakur, is your host, and this new season is a compilation of uproariously funny real-life stories about how our families and diverse cultures shape our experience. Each tale was told before a live audience at the Wright Museum in Detroit at the monthly live event. Episodes are available now. Subscribe wherever podcasts are available. Up first today, we have been talking for several years now about Detroit's resurgence, and we've contemplated, both on the show and as a region, how the city can strike the right balance between investment in places like downtown and midtown and real change in the city's other neighborhoods? How can the city attract new people and business while promoting a better quality of life for longtime residents? The Kresge Foundation has conducted a survey of confidence in Detroit's resurgence over the past few years, and this year's results are telling an interesting story. At the very least, it illustrates the complexity, nuance, and depth of thought that can and should be applied by new developers to match the complexity, nuance, and depth of thought experienced by most Detroiters when it comes to their changing cityscape. Joining me now to talk about... Detroit's resurgence and how Detroiters are feeling about it are Rip Rapson, who is the president and CEO of the Kresge Foundation. Rip, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Good morning, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Also here is Benji Kennedy. He is the managing director of the Kresge Foundation's American Cities Practice. Good morning. Yes. Benji, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, Rip, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Tell us what this survey is and what this year's results tell
1: us. Well, in each of the last three years, Stephen, uh, Kresge has gathered and shared um, perceptional data on Detroit's turnaround in a series it's calling the Detroit Revitalization Index. The survey was uh, created to sort of pressure test the narrative surrounding Detroit's recovery, giving people a chance to sort of weigh in on how they viewed the recovery, whether there was any recovery at all. and and how they viewed it uh, changing over time. And each of the last three years, we have sort of layered on the perspectives of new constituencies. We began simply with national business leaders, people who are in executive positions, who might be in a position to send business or employees or money into the city. We then expanded that to pick up Detroit metro area entrepreneurs to kind of get a sense of where small business starters and builders uh, were landing on Detroit's revitalization. And then this year, we expanded it to include the views of metro area consumers, uh, largely focused on their perceptions around commercial quarters and retail districts in Detroit. How are we doing? Is it progressing? Uh, Is it uh, stagnating? Is it non-existent? And I think the findings on all three fronts have been pretty positive. Yeah.
0: Um, uh that narrative and the tension of that narrative about the comeback here, the idea that things are moving more quickly in downtown and midtown than they are in a lot of other places in the city, and the questions about whether those other neighborhoods will catch up or be valued uh, in the in the new Detroit. Uh, talk about what this survey tells us about both what uh, the the people who are investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Detroit feel about that and what the people who are here think about it?
1: Well, I think that's exactly the right question. You know, when we began uh, three years ago, it, I think in many ways the the narrative and the perceptions of outsiders of Detroit w- was largely focused on the downtown and in midtown revitalization. That was sort of what was on the front page of the newspapers. It was uh, where a lot of the big dollars were moving, sort of the high visibility projects. And we felt it was really important to try to get underneath um, the sort of the, the complexity of the entire city a mm-hmm. little bit more. And so, what the the suggested was that there's a, a, actually a very high level of confidence uh, in all three of these categories: national business leaders, uh, metro area uh, entrepreneurs, and Detroiters themselves about the progress we're making in the neighborhoods. Uh, I think, as in any survey like this, this is just a perception survey, it's it's only as good as people's point of view. But the point of view ends up arcing, I think, in some very positive directions. I think people feel strongly, first, that uh, investing in the commercial quarters of this community is really important, Yeah, that you just can't revitalize a city in one dimension. It's got to be housing and commercial revitalization and safety and education, but that Commercial revitalization is an essential component of that. Um, I think, second, I think people felt very positively that the kinds of offerings that were beginning to come online in Detroit's neighborhoods, not just beginning to come online, but that were growing in Detroit's neighborhoods, were exactly the kinds of um, enterprises that neighborhoods needed in order to to survive and, and thrive. And I think, finally, people were sort of bullish about what that, uh, suggests for the future of the city that even if there's some way to go, and there is clearly some way to go, we don't have all of the amenities, we don't have the kind of geographical dispersion, we don't have all of the parking, we don't have all of the sort of the safety assurances that some consumers are looking for. But that as we begin moving in this direction, um, there's a real optimism that this is going to help be a neighborhood stabilization strategy over the long term.
0: You know, one of the things that that I always uh, Think about when we talk about places like downtown and midtown versus neighborhoods is the substantive difference in uh-huh. the things that need to be done uh, to to help uh, repair the damage that that happened in this community over over uh, you know six decades. And in some ways, uh, it, it's a little easier to to sort of push button kinds uh, to to sort of you know pursue push button kinds of change in downtown and midtown, and, you know, anyone who I think has worked in communities uh, outside of those places in Detroit can tell you that, you know, just investment, just writing checks, um, it it doesn't quite get to all of the things that need to be done. Um, And it's a harder, it's a harder path, and it takes longer.
1: There is absolutely no question about that. Uh, And there, as you suggest, I mean, there's so many different factors in play. Um, The the granularity of a neighborhood means that one size doesn't fit all. You don't just plop something down in one neighborhood and assume it's going to take in another. Um, Often these are smaller scale businesses, which involve a very different kind of investment strategy, very kind of different kind of business planning. Often in neighborhoods, I think most often in, in neighborhoods, where We're looking at neighborhood-owned businesses, people who come from the neighborhood, who employ neighborhood residents, who circulate money in the neighborhood. And it just involves a very different kind of mindset about the nature of that community's character, about the nature of that community's residents' access to those. And if I could, Steve, I mean, you know, a great example, it seems to me, is Whole Foods. When Whole Foods came to the city wanting to land in Midtown, it basically had a formula. That formula didn't really work, and we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to kind of recalibrate that f- formula to, to land in Midtown. But ultimately, we got it right, and we got it right by sort of using a lot of the, the uh, general ways of working that Whole Foods brought to any community in America but a couple of years later, um, there was a proposal to land a Whole Foods up in Northwest Detroit. And the, the folks came to us and they brought the same formulas and they brought the same sort of predisposition. And it wasn't that they there was any evil intent. I mean, it was just not suited in the same way to what the neighborhood needed. It's, it's fabric, the nature of its consumer patterns, its fit with surrounding institutions— it just was a lot more complicated. The scale was different. Mm-hmm. The offerings might be different. The employment patterns might be different. So, uh, that's a sort of a large-scale example. But I think you see that every day in the neighborhoods. You've got to really make sure that these businesses reflect the the nature of the neighborhood. Yeah, uh,
0: Benji. One of the things that I think uh, you bring to the conversation is the, is a more sort of global perspective about cities and cities that deal with these kinds of issues, uh, put, put Detroit in, in some national perspective for us in terms of how we are, uh, how we're doing and the patterns that, that other cities have followed either to success or failure and whether you're seeing them unfold here.
2: Well, you know, I think there's uh, one thing that we like to think is sort of unique about um, our community uh... metro detroit but actually is is pretty true across the country I think most cities sort of describe a tale of two cities most cities experience some sort of disparity socioeconomic other disparities um... and are really trying to kind of grapple with that uh... particular cities particularly cities who have suffered deep disinvestment uh... over a number of decades and and are now kind of working to rebuild um... You know the sort of widening gap um, between different parts of the community uh, is always a a, a challenge um, for for leaders across the country um so in that way uh, I think detroit um, well it 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 makes our our disparities no more profound no less profound um you know I think we are in uh, good company when it when it comes to to that sort of challenge um, in this country uh you know i think I think that where we maybe are a little bit different um, in in this city than than other cities um, is the sort of uh, I think the rigor and the intensity with which folks are actually trying to come together to solve those issues, um, the willingness to confront those issues. Um, you know whether it's the vision of, of, of Mayor Duggan, um, it, particularly around you know neighborhood change that, that we've seen recently rolled out. Um, the willingness of many private sector leaders, uh, the willingness of, 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 uh, you know, nonprofit and, in, and, and philanthropic leaders to step in. And I just think the, the intensity um, and the thoughtfulness, sophistication with which residents um, are committed to uh, not being another Brooklyn, another San Francisco, uh, you know, and, and and the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So to me, that's kind of that's sort of the good news and in the, in, in the departure uh, that, that Detroit takes from a lot of what's going on in the rest of the country.
0: What, yeah. what about the racial dimension of of these questions, which, of course, uh, takes on added intensity here in Detroit as as well? uh you know i i feel like when i talk to a lot of people who live here and have lived here for a long time there is a fear that they have that what's going on has a racial motivation right that it that it is designed to move detroit back to a time when uh, it was a white city, quote unquote, and, uh, and even if it's not majority white in terms of numbers, but that uh, the, the resources and, and investment uh, that, that, that take place in the city are around uh, white neighborhoods and for white people. What are the things we need to do to, to address that and to sort of push back against that narrative and say that's not how we're going to do this?
2: Well, I mean, I think I, I would I would almost push back against the pushing back of the narrative. I mean, if the narrative is out there and that's how people feel, then I suppose that's real. I don't think it's a condemnation necessarily of, of any particular leader, um, certainly who's working for positive change in, in, in the city and, and in the region right now. Um, it, it simply suggests the complex history of, of this community, of this American city. Um, and again, I would argue that there are... Many other communities across the country um, that feel a, 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 a similar sort have the of same tension, same kind of dynamics, sure. uh, and, and and you know where where uh, you know where folks are um, sort of making some progress around that particular tension. Uh, you know, I think they're just confronting it head on. I mean, you can't sort of treat it with euphemisms and and, and sort of <laughs> duck and dodge. I think you just have to confront what it is uh and you know probably and people don't like the idea of sort of community conversation i get that it seems sort of slow and um, you know winding <laughs> uh and, and won't you know result in real change at the end of the day but i you know i do think that that Type of discourse is important because there are things that need to be aired always. Um, and again, this is not a Detroit thing, right? I mean, this is this is a national thing. This is an American thing, and certainly, given our our current political context, uh, <laughs> uh, some of the noises coming yeah. out of 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 of. Uh, uh, the executive in Washington, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think it's only been heightened, right, in the last few years. Yeah, it's making
0: it harder, not easier.
1: Stephen, could I just, sure, uh, ahead, just jump on that? It, it, it just seems to me that as we uh, think about uh, sort of layering up to a, uh, the next generation of Detroit, um, it, it, as you suggested earlier, in some ways it's very hard to do that downtown in Midtown. These are big dollars, big projects, big national boxes in many ways of, of investment strategies. When you move into the neighborhoods, it seems to me there's a huge opportunity to reflect back community culture. And that's, as Benji suggests, that's a very complicated proposition. Our culture in Detroit has changed multiple times over the years. But the idea that you can actually think through what community voice means in a commercial corridor development. What does it mean to have a coffee shop that looks like one thing and a um, a dry cleaners that looks like another? What does it mean to uh, employ residents who come from that community, who can walk to work, who can make sure that their dollars are put back to use in that community? I think ultimately, if we attend properly to the neighborhood revitalization dimension of the mayor's agenda and the community's agenda... I think it is the single best way to be intentional and intense, to use Benji's words, about how this community can come back in a truly inclusive way. There is clearly sort of disparate, um, uh, kind of complex forces at work all throughout the community, but I think the neighborhood, platform that Mayor Duggan has articulated begins sort of saying in all neighborhoods, there ought to be an element of housing, an element of commercial revitalization, an element of open space, an element of education that ensures that every neighborhood holds out a quality of life that people want to aspire to. And that's deeply, deeply rooted in the residents who live there.
2: Yeah. Can, I, can I just add, ahead, I, 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 I'm reminded that, um, you know, Mayor Duggan, and I think this is, a, this is an extraordinary demonstration of the type of leadership that we need in this day and age around these issues, made an, a, a fantastic speech, sort of seminal speech, mm-hmm. um, sort of uh, elevating and sort of digging into the history of this community and, and mm-hmm. sort of thinking about it, uh, you know, our current context as a function of, of all, that, all that we've been through. Um, you know, that type of leadership, is sort of foundational to any change that needs to be made. I, I've seen it also as I think about some of the communities, some of the larger cities in, uh, in, in the South um, recently. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a lot of conversation renaming parks, um, you think know, about what Mitch taking, Lander is doing exactly in New Orleans Exactly. I was for thinking instance, absolutely yeah. about Mitch Lander's mm-hmm. in New Orleans is another city where we do a lot of work at the Kresge Foundation. And so you know that type of leadership that you see from a Mayor Duggan or, you know, former Mayor Landrew, I think is um, you know, again, I think is sort of a, a precondition um, for for having the type of difficult con- conversation you're talking about, making that real change. Sure. Uh, this is Detroit Today on
0: 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Rip Rapson, the president and CEO of the Kresge Foundation. Also here is Benji Kennedy. He's the managing director of the Kresge Foundation's American Cities Practice and Detroit program. We are talking about the Detroit Reinvestment Index, a report that Kresge has released this year. As I think this is the third year uh, of the report. It takes a look at what a number of different Constituencies think about the resurgence here in Detroit, the comeback, where it is mattering, where it is not, uh, how perceptions are changing. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Uh, what do you make of Detroit's resurgence over the past few years? Where do you see growth over the next five or 10 years? And tell us what you see from your vantage point. If you live in the city, in a neighborhood outside of downtown in Midtown, What's going on there? What is changing in that neighborhood? And are those changes things that you welcome or things that you maybe uh, are even afraid of uh, in terms of what role you might play in those changes? Uh, uh, if you live outside the city, tell us what you think about what's going on in the city, the things that are changing. Uh, are they changing your perception of Detroit? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and uh, we will work you into the conversation again. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. Let's go to Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom.
3: Yeah. Good to morning Detroit. to everyone. Hey. Uh, you know what? Um, I don't like to brag, but I'm going to brag this time. My letter was in the Detroit, news, Detroit Free Press yesterday, so it kind of addresses some of this. But you know what? From where I'm standing, uh-huh. out here in the neighborhood, I do not look to see the kind of wow appeal come out here that happened in downtown and midtown. And I'll say this. Detroit is not downtown and midtown versus the rest of the city. We are all one Detroit. And the article that came out about in the, rather, the recent release of the news About $130 million that's allocated for seven, you know, neighborhoods to stabilize these neighborhoods, that's a step in the right direction in terms of which I hope is going to spread throughout the city. But it's a step in the right direction of, like, say, getting the neighborhoods together. Not Mm -hmm. only that, but the neighborhood is mine responsibility, okay? Mm. Uh, it, it's my responsibility to cut my grass, to shovel my snow, okay? And the, those simple kinds of things and I'm going to say this I'm going to go and for whatever reason, I remember when Mayor Archer in one of his inaugural addresses, he says if everyone would sweep from the middle of the street
1: mm-hmm. in
3: front of their property mm. to the back, you know, where the alley is. He says, "Can you imagine how much better this city would look?" Okay? But You know, I'm the eternal (laughs) optimist, okay, but (laughs) we've come a ways. We've got a long, we've We've got got a way to go.
0: I mean, do we
3: have problems? Yeah, we got problems, but nothing that we (laughs) can't overcome. And Detroit's got better days and a brighter future ahead.
0: Tom, thanks, uh, as always, for the call and uh, the (laughs) comments. We need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about Detroit and It's a comeback or a resurgence. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Victor in Detroit. Other callers, we will get to you next on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Rip Rapson, president and CEO of the Kresge Foundation. Also here is Benji Kennedy, managing director of the Kresge Foundation's American Cities Practice and Detroit program. We're talking about the Detroit Reinvestment Index in an attempt to take a look at what a number of different constituencies think about change in Detroit. If you want to join the conversation, uh, 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and uh, hashtag Detroit Today. will work you into the conversation. I do want to get back to the phones, uh, but Rip, you wanted to follow up on something that caller Tom said before about uh, everybody participating in the efforts to make uh, Detroit better.
1: Well, I think Tom's comments were k- k- profound on a couple of levels. First is that the wow factor absolutely does have to hit the neighborhoods. And I, I believe that slowly we're beginning to see that. We, uh, with the uh, mayor's office and a number of other civic actors, broke ground for Ella Fitzgerald Park up in Tom's neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be part of a new sort of greenway connecting Mary Grove and UD Mercy. Right up the street, there are a whole suite of investments that are helping the avenue of fashion sort of regain some of its earlier glory and beginning to sort of anchor sort of block by block the sort of the reimagination of what a commercial corridor can be. And the second point that Tom made, I think, is so important is that everyone ought to sweep their street. And the public sector has a role in all of that. The private sector has a role in that. The philanthropic sector has a role in that. And community residents clearly do. And I think one of the things that Mayor Duggan has done, and I don't mean to make this an advertisement for the mayor, but I think he, he really deserves credit where credit is due, which is uh, to announce the Strategic Neighborhood Fund. It's a $130 million fund that Tom mentioned, and it's going to land capital in housing and in commercial corridor revitalization and open space protection in exactly the kind of way I think that is going to create the the wow factor that Tom describes, and that in turn is going to draw in private capital. We've already begun to see that. J.P. Morgan Chase has invested a ton of money sure. in neighborhood commercial. Um, the mayor himself has developed the Fitzforward program that tries to stabilize and revitalize the Fitzgerald pro- um, uh, neighborhood south of Marygrove. So a lot of hands are going to be required, but I think that's what makes it so exciting.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, Tom, thanks very much for that call. Let's go to Victor in Detroit. Victor, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, Stephen, how you doing? Good, how are you?
4: Good. Um, I'd like to say that, uh, first of all, I'd like to commend the mayor and doing a great job of with the city services. My mother had a tree fall in her yard maybe a few days ago when we had the storm, and she mm-hmm. called. And the next day, they're out cutting up the tree and removing it. Mm-hmm. And, and by Monday, I think the storm happened on Friday, and by Monday, the tree was all cleaned up. And and I think that until we get the young people involved with what's going on in the city, it's going to be tough, you know, when, when us 57-year-olds are gone and they're <laughs> here in the city, if they don't feel like they're a part of it, you know, I, I think it's going to be tough. A lot of times I see them riding down the street in cars, they open up their door, they throw uh, fast food bags out, you know, they just don't seem to, take interest or care about what's going Hmm. on in the city and they don't love it like some of the people who have been here like myself all my life. And I also would like to say to the people in the city of Detroit, don't stop going to Belle Isle. Don't stop going to Eastern Market. Don't stop going to Midtown and, you know, downtown. Stay involved and, and that will, you know, help you feel a little bit better about what's going on. Around,
0: you. interesting, yeah, uh, uh, Victor. Thanks very much for the call and the thoughts. I, you know, when I when we talk about uh, young people, what I think is missing mostly for young people in the city is opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of what Victor is talking about, I think, is is an outgrowth of uh, you know a generation that doesn't feel like it's very much a part of uh, the progress that's uh, that's going on here in the city.
1: Well, I was going to also say that uh, again. I'm. Going back to sort of the pow- power of one's neighborhood is that we, we see, I think increasingly, uh, kids participating in mural projects, kids participating in cleanup projects, kids participating in wheels on Meals projects. I, I think he's absolutely right that we've got to figure out ways to motivate and, and provide channels of engagement for these young people. But I, I, would, I certainly, and I don't think he's suggesting this, but I certainly wouldn't give up on the, the 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 kids of Detroit's neighborhoods, they are, I, I think, increasingly eager to make a mark, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's by starting a new business or helping clean up a lot or, or participating in a youth job program. And I think we've just got to get better at figuring out how we can do things like summer youth programs that are important, and the mayor has really scaled them up. But we got to make them year-round programs. You got to figure out how to get these kids into internships and and into public works projects and a whole suite of other things that I think will give them a real sense of purpose.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Victor, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Miguel in Detroit. Miguel, welcome to Detroit today.
5: Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I called in, um, I'm in a community which is very close to Belle Isle. Mm-hmm. And there was a project which was part of the Savannah's Casey beatification where Providence of St. Joseph is looking to expand their campus. And so they've come to our community looking to purchase homes. And initially they were offering rates which were very, very low for such a project. So we asked them to uh, be more transparent, be with the community, and have a larger meeting to expose or talk about their project. So mm-hmm. they did that. They bought a few homes in the $300,000 range and then stopped and said we're going to not buy property. Then sort of mysteriously, the uh, Detroit Land Bank, the blight authority, showed up. They started ticketing homes. Hmm. And they put these really large signs on homes, which were maybe five feet by four, saying, if you don't contact us, within three days, we're going to take your property from you. And so the community has uh, said, we're not against your project. Just be more transparent about what you want to do. So everything they're looking at, they're saying, we're just going to put in additional parking. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to the community. So, Everything so, they have said to us, they've backpedaled. Initially, hmm. they talked about you know, moving people someplace else in the community, or moving your house, or building your house. And when we have these conversations, they're like, "Oh, well, you know, that doesn't make sense. We're not going to do that." So, how do we trust developers? Right. When they tell you one thing, and then when the community sort of pushes back, yeah. they say, "No, we're not going to do that." Right.
0: Miguel, like, uh, that's a great. That's a great story. It's a great example. I hear lots of people talk about. Uh, that that idea of promise versus delivery, and again, this idea of who's say matters the most when we talk about development, uh, and and I think there is this disconnect often between uh, people who want to make change in neighborhoods and the people people who are there, and I think Miguel is uh, pointing out a really poignant example of it.
2: Well, uh, I mean, all, all I would say, I, I it's such a granular example. I mean, it's not really our place to kind of weigh into the particulars of that example. Um, You know, we're a private foundation. Our job is to deploy capital in the best way we can uh, to support change, positive change. Um, You know, one thing that's, been particularly challenging for us whether it's in detroit or in other communities is just to make sure that what we're deploying capital against is sort of authentic and deeply aligned with Mm -hmm. what uh community wants and needs and and all we can do is find uh uh the best proxies we can for for community voice um, and, you know, for us, what's been very valuable in Detroit is, again, you know, we talked about it, but the partnership with the mayor and, and, and his team, um, I think, has given us, you know, one avenue for determining sort of, you know, the, the validity of, of a project or of an initiative, et cetera. And, you know, I would also just lift up, and I, I've, I've always lifted up, uh, whether it's, again, in Detroit or elsewhere in the country, the importance of our nonprofit partners. I mean, we really rely, particularly in community development work, on uh, the connection uh, that local nonprofit leaders mm. have to the communities that they serve and represent. Um, and, and uh, you know, for us, oftentimes for us to go around them is to sort of undermine, um, you know, the thoughtfulness and the the credibility that they bring to the work. And, And so for sure, you know, it's helpful for us to do a reinvestment index like survey and sort of draw information from other places that, you know, where we're going direct uh, to community. But at the end of the day, you know, the public sector partnership, the nonprofit sector partners, um, you know, are the way that we determine, um, you know, what's real and what can move um, and what's consistent with community need uh, and what's not. We could continue this conversation for hours, I'm
0: sure, and we would have the calls to sustain that conversation, but we are out of time. Rip Rapson, president and CEO of the Kresge Foundation, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks so much, Stephen.
0: Benji Kennedy, managing director of the Kresge Foundation's American Cities Practice and Detroit program, thank you for being here. You bet. Up next, we are going to talk about the latest news with Republican strategist Dennis Darnoy. Stay with us on Detroit Today.